Welcome back, everyone, to the ROSC podcast, episode 29, where in this episode, we're going to talk about the idea of spreading the blame. In a previous episode, we talked about blaming yourself, getting used to the concept of self-accountability, extreme ownership and extreme self-accountability to the point where you can, in a healthy manner, look at every single situation and blame yourself and look at it and say, how how is this my fault? Or for some people, it's effective to even just right off the bat say, this was my fault. And that sends them down a path of figuring out how. For some people, of course, as you can imagine, it might be dangerous to do that. And that's okay if you're in a state right now where you can't necessarily process that or handle that. That doesn't mean that this doesn't apply to you. It just means that when you get to that point where you can look at this and realize that you're asking yourself to analyze the situation and see your contribution to it with the intent of highlighting the things that by nature will be also in your control when you look at something and say, that was my fault. I did that. What you're inadvertently saying is, I was in control of that, which means I'm also in control of that in the future, which is actually the point, um, which is also the point of this entire podcast today. The idea that we all have a visceral reaction to the idea of blaming yourself that doesn't sit well with any of us because of the context in which we're thinking about it, the context in which we would have heard it in our lives with the way it typically is in our careers, in our homes, in our families, because we're always feeling like we're on some sort of thin ice waiting for the next issue to pop up, waiting for the next thing to be our fault, waiting for the next finger to be pointed at us. When that's the typical context of your daily functioning, whether it's from the outside or from within yourself, hearing the idea of blaming yourself automatically is going to be a bad thing. But everything is a matter of perspective, of we, as we've talked about in the past. And so if you're at a state right now where hearing that causes a visceral reaction in you that doesn't feel good, know that you're just in a position right now where you cannot yet fully grasp that idea. Yet. You can get there. It's just a matter of whether or not you work towards that. And that's a conscious effort. Understanding the context of it is really important. And so when you continually train yourself, your brain, your mind, your habits to understand that in this example, if I say that's my fault, what I'm saying is not, this is another thing that because of me is a bad thing. What it is actually saying is what it's implying, which is if that's my fault, then that means that something I did or said, or didn't do, or didn't say, is the cause of that. That is a result of that thing. And then the next step in taking that in the correct context, or in the better context, in the context that you have control over, is looking at that and saying that the same way that that is because of me, that can change because of me. And because everything in this world, everything in my life, everything in my career, everything in my path forward boils down to just action, not anything else, not emotion, not feeling, not fear, not thoughts, not perspective, not anything. What it actually directly amounts to is action leads to outcome. 
If I understand that, then the thing that I'm blaming myself for, the thing that I'm saying is my fault, or the thing that I have identified I have some contribution towards, that means that a different action will cause a different contribution, a different reaction, a different outcome. And nobody can tell me what to do but me. Nobody can stop me from doing the thing that'll make that situation better the next time. Not perfect, but better the next time. But if I don't take the action to change that, then it won't change. And it'll continue to remind me of the negative side. And one step further from that is, one step further from if I don't change, if I don't take a different action, one step beyond that is never having evaluated the thing, the incident, the situation, from the perspective of what did I say or do or not say or not do that led to that. If you never stop to ask that question, whether it's avoiding it, whether it's pretending it didn't exist, whether it's being afraid, or whether it's spending your energy saying, pointing the finger to somewhere else or someone else, all of those amount to the same thing. Not evaluating the action that led to the outcome and not being able to give yourself the ability and the power to then make a different action or take an action at all. So that's a bit of an elaboration on the idea of blaming yourself. Um, and there's way more to it, uh, way more nuance to it, way more variations to it. Um, but that's sort of a reprimer for those of you who listened a while back, and it's been a while. For those of you just coming onto this podcast, and this is the first one, that's a bit of a primer of understanding what it means to have extreme ownership to quote unquote blame yourself. And the idea of using that term blaming yourself is meant to be something that causes a reaction in you, that's something that perks you up, something that gets you a bit emotional, because hopefully you'll listen to the next thing. But in this episode, we're going to talk about the idea of spreading the blame. And I think one of the things that we experience a lot in healthcare, I think anywhere in life, this is sort of a thing that's very common, but in healthcare, it feels like it stands out more because there's always still that underlying feeling of, aren't we in this together? Aren't we in this for purely good and nothing else? Like there's nothing about our profession that is anything other than just non-judgmental giving of good. So I think it stands out more when we have situations where it feels like people are being put down or insulted or blamed or uh, reminded of their incapabilities or reminded of their mistakes. And we see that the recognition of that subculture in various different forms. We see the fact that when we talk about morbidity and mortality meetings or conferences, there's always that, you know, explanation afterwards of trying to make people feel like it's not a blame game. It's not a finger pointing game. It's not meant to call anybody out. And we leave it anonymous. Sometimes some places don't do that. We have that constant reminder of we're having a morbidity and mortality, not to blame anybody. Everyone's going to be anonymous. Like there's always that explanation afterwards or in simulation, when we do simulation cases, there's always that preamble of reminding everybody that we're all see, we all see each other as smart and competent and capable, and there's no dumb questions and this and that. And I'm not saying any of that to mock that. I'm saying it to highlight the fact that something about us as human beings, and particularly in the medical field, in the healthcare field, something in us has become programmed to take correction or take the highlighting of an error as 
a grave mistake as a judgment on us. Um, it's so much so that those above us don't even need to do that anymore. It's just automatic. And it might be that some of us have grown up in that environment in one way or another, whether it's schooling or family or, or, or whatever we've experienced in our lives, that there's a commonality between experiencing that in our lives and feeling the call towards doing something like healthcare. Could very well be. The point is, it's, it's sort of an inferred recognition in the things that we do when certain things come up that would otherwise be taken as blameworthy. The assumption is always that there is a blameworthy note to it, and we make an effort to highlight that this isn't for that purpose. And very rarely does that work. Very rarely does anybody go into that feeling calm and comfortable. Um, hopefully, at the end of it, when you come out of it and you realize that you still have a job and you're not being you know, chastised, you're not being penalized in any particular massive way, you come out of it feeling a bit reassured. But the buildup towards that never really gets any easier, even when people tell you, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. It's not a matter of, it's, we're not here to blame you. We're not this and that, blah, blah, blah. And this is where I think the first of our three insights for this conversation comes in, that the idea of self-account is a very difficult task for people. And it's a heavy task because it requires the sort of prerequisite of having a controlled and healthy view of yourself. And that goes back to the initial sort of recap that we made in that having an understanding of the context and the perspective of what's being said, of what this idea of quote self-blame really means, and also being able to sort of converse with yourself, coach yourself through the situation, which gets easier and easier over time, but it's very, very crucial in the initial phases when it's when it's jarring to think about blaming yourself for things, for looking at something and saying it's my fault and finding that to be empowering, especially during that period of time, understanding that you need to have a healthy perspective on yourself and an understanding of yourself or not even acquiring the understanding of yourself, but understanding that you need to guide yourself through that by continually turning the camera back on yourself and reminding yourself of what the purpose of this is, what it does for you and what it allows you to then access, which is what we said before, understanding that the action or lack thereof led to an outcome and that outcome can be changed by a different action or lack thereof. And that leads me to the next part of what I'm talking about when I talk about spreading the blame. And it's the understanding that responsibility, accountability is not a percentage. It's not a finite amount. You're not handing out portions of responsibility, which means that even though things can be partly one person's fault, partly another person's fault, or partly because of this and partly because of that, it doesn't actually mean that you'll run out of responsibility. So when fingers are pointed or when you're forced to take account for something and whether consciously or subconsciously, you actually realize that you are to blame, the protective mechanism comes in of seeking out somewhere else to place the blame because of repercussions you've faced in the past, because of a lack of desire to go through any of that again, because you want to create the space and the narrative for the blame to be somewhere else so that no one comes to you, so you're in the clear. That's all understandable. Um, and that is certainly 
contributed to by outside forces, by things we've experienced in our lives, sometimes by the way we know the culture to be, though often it's not entirely that way, and we've all experienced that as well. But when you understand that responsibility is not a percentage that is being handed out, it begins to allow you to take that first concept you talked about of having a healthy sense of self-awareness, healthy sense of yourself in general, and be able to let go of the fact that, well, if I'm being blamed, that means someone else isn't. And that isn't necessarily the case. And this is partly the responsibility of being a leader, of understanding that if something is pointing in one direction, it doesn't start to pull away from the other possibilities that could have contributed. It doesn't erase everything. The whole situation would need to be evaluated continually, objectively, and without bias, of course. But what that means, I think, is understanding that a situation truly can be multifactorial and that if you find a certain source of responsibility, whether it's something that occurred or someone that did something, someone that did not do something, it doesn't take away from the other components that exist that you may not have uncovered yet. Now, from the perspective of you fearing the feeling of responsibility, when you understand as well that a significant number of things that we ought to take responsibility for are not determinants of who we are, they're not determinants of our overall capability, which goes back to the concept of a fixed versus a growth mindset, that failure does not identify who you are as a person. Failure simply identifies a stage of ability that you're in, and your ability can change with training. When you understand that definition of failure, then taking responsibility becomes attractive. Because if you don't take responsibility, if you don't have something or someone, even if it's your own self, evaluating something and asking yourself how you contributed to that and what you could have done that would have changed that outcome, you'll never appreciate and you'll never seek out and be hungry for failure. Because you'll never even be able to look at the failure and glean something from it. If you're busy making sure that that percentage stays somewhere else on someone else so that the other person is not let off the hook, you're just going to be on the defense and look for every situation where you can offload that responsibility. But when we go back to the idea that responsibility is not a finite percentage, it's not a, it's not a certain amount that we're doling out of a jar, you begin to understand that if a certain amount of responsibility is taken on by me, either because I took it on or because someone put it on me, that doesn't detract from the amount of responsibility someone else might have in a situation. The amount of responsibility that a person should be accountable for. Now, the other tricky part to that is going back to the idea of stoicism that says that you cannot control what happens, but you can control how you react. To some extent, we're talking about a bit of theory when we talk about this idea that responsibility is not a finite amount and that you can take responsibility for something without it detracting from the responsibility that someone else ought to take on. And that's the key that they ought to take on. That's where theory becomes reality. Because the fact of the matter is, other people might see it as a percentage. Other people might see blame or responsibility as a certain amount of something that if they offload enough of it, they won't have any of it. And the bottom line to that is, 
you cannot control that. You can't change that in someone else right then and there. The hope is to be able to create a, a, a way of thinking that does change that over the long haul. It's the whole point of this. But focusing on that is the second part to blaming others being uh, like shackles. Extreme accountability is the ultimate form of freedom because of the fact that you're voluntarily looking at every situation and understanding how you can contribute and what you can contribute to that situation to make it better or what you did or did not do that made it worse. The same way that is the most liberating thing, finding ways to offload that to someone else is restrictive. It is its shackles. So from your perspective, you're seeing someone else not take that responsibility on, even though you fully understand that me taking the responsibility doesn't mean that you're not responsible. And that's the most frustrating thing. And that's the easiest way for people to all fall into the um, the mentality of, well, I'm not going to take the blame because if they're not taking the blame and they think blaming me is going to let them off the hook, then I'm not going to let that happen. Which ultimately, theoretically is true, but it's also a massive amount of pride and ego. But understanding this in the fullest context in it in its complete form also flips the script because the same way that reactionary nature comes about of we see responsibility as a finite amount and we might be those people who have been seeing it in that way and therefore trying to offload as much of it as we can. And the idea of taking responsibility for something in order to then control it sounds very appealing. We hesitate in doing it because by taking our portion of the responsibility, the other person now thinks, or the other group, or whatever it might be, thinks that, oh, they're off the hook. And so we resist taking the responsibility that might be owed to us, which now becomes a vicious cycle. It puts us in exactly that same position. And so that leads to that second insight of, when in a situation where finger pointing is occurring, by, either by you or from someone else, just pause and take control of what you can take control of, which is your own self, and evaluating the situation and seeing just how you can or cannot contribute to that situation. And there might be situations in which there is zero that you can do, have done, are responsible for, etc. If you really think about it, there is always, always something that you can do. It's just a matter of whether or not you want to. It's a matter of whether or not in that moment you want to push through the feeling of, I don't want to do this. I shouldn't have to. That's not fair. It's, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm over it. I'm burned out. We said earlier that the only thing that affects an outcome is not emotion, not fear, not hesitation, not uh, reluctance, not past experiences, not perspective, it's action. The beautiful thing about emotions is that they're not tangible. They're signals, but they don't actually change what you do and do not do. Your choices change what you do and do not do. And so all of that rambling is to get to the point that insight number two emphasizes the fact that in a moment where you deserve to point the finger somewhere else, in a moment where you know that taking the philosophy of understanding that responsibility can be infinite and you can take your portion and so can someone else, it doesn't detract from anything, even 
in a moment where you accept that and you know that the other side isn't accepting that. You're in a vacuum and believing that. And therefore, by taking that on, you're allowing the other person to point the finger. It doesn't change your role. It doesn't change your ownership. And it doesn't change your ability to act and react. And that leads to the third and final insight that once you filter out that feeling, once you filter out the frustration and the resentment and the anger and the the feeling of just wanting to give up, once you filter all that out or not even filter it out, just put it to the side for a moment and you allow yourself to only act based on what is objectively there and you allow yourself to act in accordance to what, if you're honest with yourself, you know will produce results not what you do or do not want to do. Once you reach that point in the evaluation, you can then ask yourself, what can be done? What can be done differently next time? What can I do right now to change my own situation in this thing that cannot change? It all boils down to this idea. In moments where you know that you're right to be angry, in moments where you know that you're right to point the finger, in moments where you know that you're right to sit back and do nothing because you didn't do anything to contribute and you didn't do anything to make it worse and you don't technically need to do anything to make it better. If in that moment you can grab yourself devoid of everyone else and ask yourself what can be done in this situation that can make the situation more appealing to me first and then potentially to everyone else, what can make this situation elevate a level or two, what can make this situation become a precedent for future situations so, so that when it happens again, I now give myself evidence that, hey, this happened last time and this is how I handled it. That means it can be handled differently the next time or this next time. In those moments when you can take account of yourself, control of yourself and find something to take accountability for in that thing, you have now gained the one thing that every manager, leader, administrator, anybody, the one thing that anybody truly wants, and that is control. Because nobody can tell you how you're going to react to a situation. People can create emotions in you. People might do it intentionally to trigger you, to set you off, to trip you up. People might not do that intentionally. You might set yourself off and trigger yourself and set yourself up to trip and fall. But the only thing that allows that to actually happen is blocking yourself from pausing for a moment, breaking that loop, interrupting that pattern, and going back to that same thing. Well, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's th that's because of that. If this person, if only this, I couldn't do anything. And this goes, again, this is why I emphasized so much in the moments where you know that you're correct in that feeling, when you deserve to be angry or you deserve to be passive aggressive, you deserve to be pointing the finger. When we look back to the fact that you cannot control what happens, you can only control how you react to things. And you know that the other side is fueling you to point the finger because you know that they'll try to offload what they can. In the moments when you know you're right, you also know you just haven't asked yourself or admitted to yourself in that moment. You also know that going on the defense and fighting fire with fire, it's not, it's not going to change anything. You want it to because you know you're justified to feel that way. 
But what you also know, which is what's adding to your frustration, you also know that fighting fire with fire, pointing the finger when it's being pointed because you feel that the responsibility should be taken on elsewhere, will do nothing but keep the situation exactly the way it is, and it'll keep the person or people exactly the way they are. And worst of all, it also relinquishes control. Because you have stated to the world and to yourself that I am free from this. I have no responsibility. I have no contribution. Which you're also saying, I therefore can never affect that thing. Responsibility is not a percentage. It's an opportunity. It's not meant to be an enjoyable feeling. It's not meant to be easy. It's always going to be difficult. It's always going to be bruising to your ego. And that's like DEFCON 4. Your, your brain will do everything it can to defend that ego because it's the only thing propping it up. But when you truly internalize the fact that taking responsibility is the only thing that allows you to recognize that action leads to change, improvement, then when you're left without that, after you've truly realized that, I think that is when I have certainly felt the most helpless. And it becomes a feeling that's so undesirable that you will seek out some level of extreme ownership of responsibility just so you can take control of something. And when you do that, you might find yourself very, very inclined to that feeling over and over again. And that's where having the quality of leadership, I think, starts. That's whether it's in a social interaction or in a critical scenario or anything else that you can imagine. Learning to take control, take responsibility, and take authority in a situation then forces you in a position to start asking the questions, okay, what do I do now? And do is exactly what you need. We'll see you next time.